0: Take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 6 as we continue our study through this first and foundational book of the Bible. We have said if you want to understand the New Testament, you've got to understand the Old Testament. And we've seen so many times where in the New Testament, references are made back to the Old Testament, hundreds of times, literally. Let me ask a question before we open uh, this passage of Scripture. Here's a question. In the crazy world we live in, in the world where you can look on your iPhone, it seems like every 15 minutes and there's a new news story about something happening throughout the world, maybe a terrorist attack either in our country or outside, uh, breaking news about something going on. We live in a crazy world. The question is this. Can men and women continue to get away with living a life in opposition to God? Is that possible? Can people just go on living as if God didn't exist, go on living in their greed, go on living in their immorality, go on living in their selfishness, go on enjoying the pleasures of the world, and there are many pleasures and there are many temptations. Can a person do that without facing consequences? Let's look today at chapter 6 of Genesis to answer that question and to set the perspective and the framework for communion here in just a few minutes. We saw in chapter 6 last time that uh, God had created the earth, but after uh, Genesis 3, sin has now pervaded like a poison at the beginning of the stream, we now have poison working its way through humanity. And we saw in chapter 6, verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention, not some, but every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Evil and wickedness had permeated God's crowning creation, had permeated man, and the earth was filled with corruption. And that's the first thing we see as we see it Uh, Noah getting ready to to prepare for the escape in the ark. We're going to look at the flood today. We see that the culture was corrupt and violent. Look at chapter 6, verse 11. The earth was corrupt in God's sight, and it was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, when he looked down, he saw that it was corrupt. For all flesh, all man, had corrupted their day on the earth. The word corrupt means to be spoiled. It means to be ruined. It means to be marred. It describes something that is filled with immorality. God is saying in chapter 6 verse 11 that sexual perversion, that greed, selfishness, pride has permeated not only the mind of man, not only the hearts of man, but He is working it out in His hands. Violence has corrupted the earth. If we lived in that time with all our technology today, our phones would be buzzing continually with breaking news of another act of terror, another act of violence. This verse describes something that we can hardly imagine. All the details are not played out. Every act of violence is not described, but this verse is telling us that violence and corruption has permeated the earth. This verse describes, corruption describes, man at his worst. Now let's stop there for a question. We're going to see in a little bit that God is going to bring judgment. He's going to bring the flood. And when we see God bringing judgment, the questions that we often ask and others often ask is, well, time out, God. You can't do that. Why would you do that? Why would you bring the flood? Why would you bring judgment on people? We always, isn't it, when we hear judgment, we always point to God and say, why are you doing that? But there's someone else we should be pointing to. We should be pointing to ourselves. We should be asking the question, can we continue to live in opposition against God and get by with it? How could man do that is the question. How could man, living in the common grace, breathing the air God has given, eating the food that God has provided, looking up in the stars and seeing the glory of God, how could man continue to live in abject opposition, in disobedience to God, and expect to God, for God to turn a blind eye to it? It's not, God, how did you do that? It's, man, what are you doing? We could ask the same questions in our life today. Do we believe we can continue to live? Some of you here are living in sin. Do you really believe you can continue to do that? You can continue to live in opposition to God, and there aren't going to be consequences to that. Galatians chapter 6, 7-8 and eight said this, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his sinful flesh... The uh, one who sows to his flesh will from his flesh reap corruption, and the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. If you're living in sin, there will be consequences to that. And when they come, you can't say, hey, God, not fair. That's God's justice in his hatred towards sin. Now, some of you may say, well, we're time out here, though. We're in chapter 6. God created this thing in chapter 1. Already in chapter 6, he's going to send the flood. That's like five chapters. Not a lot of time. Well, go back and look at the genealogy that we we considered last week. From creation to the flood, if you do your math, is 1,656 years. So the earth's been on there, been going a long time. Man's been corrupted and violent a long time. And God says, things have to change. Chapter 1, verse 31 of Genesis, God had created the earth and said it was very good, but now sin has marred the creation, and he's going to start all over. In the middle of that corruption and violence, there is one man and his family that are going to be saved. It's a man named Noah, and God tells us that he walked with him. Noah walked with God. Look at chapter six, verse nine. These are the generations of Noah. If you're following the literary outline of Genesis, now this is the third movement. Noah was a, a righteous man. So he's a righteous man and he is blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Remember we saw last time that Enoch Walk with God, going the same way, at the same time, in the same direction. He enjoyed God's friendship. He desired to walk with God. There wasn't a thought in his mind that he wanted to walk with anyone but God. Noah walked with God. It says here that he was blameless. That word means he was complete. It does not mean he was perfect. We're going to see next time that Noah was a sinner just like all of us. But he was a man of integrity, the, the general Habits of his life, the general pattern of his life, not perfection, but the general patterns of his life were, was life of wholeness, life of completeness, life of integrity. The word righteous is an interesting word, and one way we can always remember what that word means is this... You remember uh, this area we talked about a few times ago, here's the Euphrates River, here's the Tigris River, and uh, the area in between that was called Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia means between the rivers. The word righteous actually is a Mesopotamian word. It comes from a river reed. These, these people were familiar with the rivers. And a river reed was taken from the river, and it was it was meant to be used as a tool, an instrument to make sure that a wall was straight or that a fence was straight. It was a kind of a leveler like today. It was a ruler, it was a standard. You had to match up to the river reed. And God takes this word river reed and he uses it figuratively, metaphorically, to describe. His riveriedness or His righteousness. He is the standard. He is the ruler. He is the straight edge by which all other things are measured. And so when we read in Scripture when someone is righteous, we are saying that the patterns of their life measure up to the instructions, to the requirements of a relationship with God. And we'll see later on that that only for us can come through Jesus Christ. In the middle of this violent and corrupt and dark culture, Noah stood out as a light. got to ask you this question. Do you? Do I? Has the culture rubbed uh, on, off on us in such a way that when we're standing in the middle of our culture, we look like about everybody else Or, as we're standing in the middle of a dark culture, do we have the light of Christ shining through us? That we do life differently. That we do business differently. We don't get in and mix it up like everyone else does and do all the stuff in business like everyone else. We do business differently. We do parenting differently. We do marriage differently. Not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is. Not because of who we are, but whose we are. It's a convicting thought, isn't it? Do you shine out in a dark culture? That's what Noah did. And in this dark culture, God explained to Noah that he needed to build an ark, a big boat. The boat was made of gopher wood. We don't know what kind of wood that was. In fact, the word gopher is a transliteration of the Hebrew word what? Gopher. Right. You got it. Right? So we don't know exactly what it was. In the NIV it's translated cypress wood. Most people think it's like a cypress wood because the boats were made of cypress wood in that day and it was to be coated with pitch inside and out. It was 300 cubits long. Now in those days people used their body parts as measuring tools. So if you put your four fingers together, the distance between here and here was called a you know? Hand breadth pretty close, hand breadth, And if you, little a thumb to little finger, that was called a span. And the elbow to your middle finger was called a cubit. Now, if you think about that, uh, if you built something so many cubits, it could be different because of the size of a person, right? But it came to be about 18 inches long. And so the ark was 450 feet long. That's a football-filled and a half of another football field. So if you're out in Wilkinsburg and you go to your new building and you stand at your new building and you look down the street past the bus stop and past the grocery store, that arc continues on 450 feet. And if you go to Washington and you go out on Main Street, there at the corner of Wheeling and Main, and it's way past the courthouse and it keeps on going. And if you're a PTI and you stand there at the the entrance of PTI, that ark would have gone all the way up to the entrance to the parking lot of PTI. And if you're here at the South Hills, you've got to figure it out on your own <laughs> how long it was. God instructed that Noah would take um, two kinds or, 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 or a pair of each kind of animal uh, into the ark. So he takes in um, uh, two pair of unclean animal, a male and a female, and then seven pair of Clean animals, we'll talk about that in a second. But the point of this part is, verse 22, all the instruction that God gave Noah, look at verse 22, God, or Noah did this, he did all that God commanded. That is part of Moses, who's writing this, reminding us, see, Noah is a righteous man. He does what God says to do. He's meeting God's standard. He did all that God commanded. First part of chapter 7, we see that God is going to deliver Moses or Noah rather and his family. The Lord said to Noah, chapter 7, verse 1, Go into the ark, you and your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pair of all clean animals, male and its mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean. So seven pair of clean animals, one pair of unclean animals. We'll explain that in a second. And... Um, And keep their offspring alive uh, on the face of the earth. For seven days, I'm going to send the rain. And look at verse 5 again. Moses wants us to know what it means to be a righteous man. And Noah did all what? That God commanded to do. You see, when you walk with God, you do what God tells you to do. He's in charge, you're not. He's God, you're not. And so you follow his commands regarding marriage, regarding relationships. Regarding parenting, regarding business, regarding all the things that he calls us to do. He did what God commanded. We don't know how long it took uh, Noah to build the ark. We know he was 500 years old when his sons were born. He entered the ark when he was 600 years old. If anyone knows how long it took him to build the ark, let me know. We'll write a book. We'll make all kinds of money and figure out something good to do with it. But, But I'm kidding because no one knows how long it took him. There's all kinds of commentators you can read on this. And and it's crazy because some of them start thinking about, well, if he he waited until uh, his three sons were older and he could build this much a day, it could have taken him seven years or 10 years. Now we do know that all the time he was building it, first Peter tells us he was a preacher of righteousness. And so he was telling other people, gotta follow God. Gotta get on the boat. We just know this. The boat was built just on time, on the 17th day of the second month of Noah's 600th year. The floods came. Look at verse 13. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and their three wives... The wives of his son uh, with him entered the ark they and every beast according to its kind all the livestock according to its kind creeping things that creep on the earth according to its kind every bird according to its kind and every winged creature they went into the ark with noah two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life and those who entered male and female of all flesh went in as god had commanded the niv says it a little better god brought them noah did not go collect them God brought them to the ark. He brought the animals he wanted on the ark, and he brings them in. And look at the end of verse 16. What what does God do? It's God who shuts the door. It's God who takes that big door on the side of the ark, and he he closes it. The um, The flood is a fascinating story, and there are a lot of questions. You know, how long did it take to build the ark? Um, were there dinosaurs on the ark? Well, yeah. If God brought every creature, there would have been dinosaurs. Now they didn't have to be full grown; they could have been smaller. By the way, there is only one species that did not enter the ark. Anyone know? The fish. <laughs> Never mind. so God brings them on the ark. So there are all these questions and a lot of times we we like to delve into these sideline questions. And they're important, I get it. They're interesting. But don't miss the main point of the ark. What was it for? It was for salvation. God chose a family to save by his grace. God shut the door. God ensured their safety. In the midst of judgment, God preserved his people. The story really happened. And it's an example of how those who trust in Christ are rescued from the coming judgment because another judgment's coming. The question's going to be, are you in the ark, not in the boat? but in the ark and the covering of Jesus Christ. Remember the description of chaos we looked at in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2? The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That word deep means uh, salty waters. It was chaos, and we talked about how that could have come about. Well, God then took that chaos in Genesis 1, 2, and he created this beautiful earth, but now... In the destruction, it goes back to chaos. It goes back to that watery deep. The flood was not just caused by rain. The destruction didn't come just because of the rain. Look at verse 11 and 12. In the 600 year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of heaven were open, and rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. A lot of times we think, oh, the floods came because of the rain. That was a part of it. The earth was flooded and totally destroyed because the great deeps, and we don't know exactly what they were. There are scientists today who say there are water tables under the earth that are more water under the earth than on top of the earth. The the, the springs of these great deeps burst Forward. Just think about that. The earth is churning. The, the, the mountains are quaking. The mountains are falling. That water is coming up, and it's always like turning the earth inside out. Never seen anything like that before, and God has promised we won't see that again. Now, I believe in the young earth, and if you believe in the young earth, then the earth is less than 10,000 years old, and you've got to say, oh, time out. And I've been, to, I've been to the Carnegie Science Center, and I read those little plaques, and i talking millions of years. Well, that's a great question, and we, I don't see a tension with science and Scripture. It's God's truth. But might it be possible that some of the dating seems older because of the flood? You have the earth, where the dating takes place, you have it churned over and over and over as the water comes from the deep. And then you have billions of tons of weight pressing it down as the water went all the way up and covered the highest mountain peak, 22 and a half feet over the highest mountain peak. That could well be a reason for some of the discrepancy that is seen in the dating. God brings the flood. And then in verse, chapter 8, after the flood, there's a new order that he establishes. Look at verse, chapter 1 and verse 8. But God remembered, so the waters are on the earth for uh, 150 days, and then God remembered Noah and all the beasts and livestock that were with him in the ark, and God made wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. By the way, when you read in Scripture that God remembered, it doesn't mean, oh oh man, I forgot about Adam and Eve. Not Adam and Eve. I forgot about Noah out there in the ark. I better go do something. The word remembered is always a word that means action. When, when, when you see in Scripture God remembered something, It is the essence of God's remembering and his acting toward someone regarding a previous commitment. So it's not he forgotten now he's thinking about it. It's that he is acting toward that previous commitment that he made. I won't go through everything that happened uh, with the waters. But just to go through this quickly, um, after the uh, waters stopped, after the rain uh, stopped, the water was there for 150 days... After the rain stopped, 74 days later, we read in uh, chapter 8, verse 5, the the tops of the mountains became visible, and so it subsided 22 and and a half feet. Forty days later, uh, uh, Noah sent out a raven, And he also sent out a dove and the dove returned. Seven days later, he sent out a dove and the dove returned with an olive branch. That was important because olives did not grow in high altitude. So now he knew that the water was down at a lower level, that it was drying up. Seven days later, he sent out a dove again and the dove did not return. Twenty-two days later, the water had receded. Seventy days later, after Noah and his family had been on the boat for how long? One year and 17 days. They exited on dry ground. And as soon as Noah hit the ground, as soon as the door was open and Noah came out, what's the very first thing he did? Look at verse 20 of chapter eight. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and he took some of every clean animal That's why there were seven pairs of clean animals, because clean animals are now, after the flood, used for food and offerings. Seven pair of clean animals and some of every clean bird, and he offered burnt offerings on the altar. A burnt offering is total sacrifice. Everything is offered to the Lord. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, again, the anthropomorphism of God, It's as if God has nostrils and he's breathing this aroma. That means what Noah did was pleasing to God. Then God said in his heart, I will never curse the ground because a man for the intention of his heart is evil from his youth. The flood did not change original sin. Man's heart is still evil from his youth. But never again will I strike down every living creature as I have done. Verse 22, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. God then gives Noah in chapter 9 new instructions regarding uh, sacrifice and worship and what to eat and what not to eat. You can read those instructions. And then God gives Noah... As he makes this covenant with Noah, the first covenant we see in Genesis, the Noahic covenant, promises Noah a treaty with Noah, an agreement with Noah. He says, I'm going to set a sign in the sky. And wherever you see it, you can remember that it won't destroy the earth through a flood again. And we know what that sign is, right? It's a rainbow. Literally in Hebrew, it's just the word Bow. And it's it's an archer's bow, and it's as if God has been at war with the earth, right? And now He sets down His bow, and that rainbow is a reminder that God has set down His bow. He has made peace with man regarding the judgment of, of water. Now, when we th- when we see a rainbow, what do we do? We take a picture of it and we put it on Instagram, right? That's cool. Rainbows are beautiful. And right after we post it to Instagram, we should say, God, thank you for your promise. It should be a spiritual moment when you see a rainbow. You destroyed the earth one day and you promised you wouldn't do it like that again. And you saved a remnant of people through that. And... You've sent your son Jesus Christ to save me from a coming destruction. Thank you for the promise that you have set down your bow, and because of Jesus, you're no longer at war with me. The flood was one radical act of God. We would agree with that, right? Extreme act. Because of man's sin, let's not forget that. The wages of sin is death. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever you sow, you reap. Because of man's sin, the judgment came. There is only one other event recorded in Scripture so radical and so extreme as the flood. There is only one other event that describes God's hatred, God's judgment on sinful man. You know what that event is? It's the cross. Jesus came. God loved us so much that he sent his son. And there on the cross, Jesus was flooded with the wrath of God. Jesus on the cross took your sin and your sin and my sin. And he took it upon himself. He bore our sin in his body on the cross. And God's wrath was poured down to the point where Jesus said, My God, my God, why have even you forsaken me? Some commentators say, Jesus is saying, I don't know how much longer I can take this. The only event that even comes close to the flood recorded in Scripture is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. There he took on your sin. And he took on your sin in order to save you from what? The coming judgment. Because scripture says this, it's appointed unto man once to die and what? After that, the judgment. All of us are going to stand before God. We're either going to stand on our own or we're going to stand with Christ. And if we trusted in Jesus Christ alone, it's the only way we can have a relationship with God. As the one who took on the flood of God's wrath for us, we are safe in the ark. And we stand before God covered in safety with Christ. And God sees us and he says, my son wasn't like Noah, habitually righteous. My son was sinless. He was righteous, and you've identified with him, and I am taking his righteousness, and I am imputing it to you. You are a river reed. You are righteous. You have lived up to my standard, not because of what you did, but because of what Jesus did for you. And God will declare us not guilty, righteous, safe, secure in Jesus so the question not is, are you in the ark? The question is, are you in Jesus? Have you trusted in him alone as the only way to have a relationship with the living God? Man, that is our plea this morning. Just like those 80 kids, an upwards event, trusted in Christ, so today we are asking if you have not trusted in Christ to follow that lead. Because You're going to. So if you don't agree with anything I've said today, right? You can't argue with this one. You're going to die. One of these days is going to be over. I don't know if that's this afternoon or 50 years from now or 100 years from now. I don't know. It's appointed unto man, wants to die, and after that, the judgment. The judgment, you better be covered with. Christ. For those of us who are, now we're in the ark, right? But we got to ask the question, are we looking more like the world? Or do we in this dark culture shine with the life of Christ? And when we take communion, we're reminded of that. It's a time of exam. It's a time of Thanksgiving. Like when Noah hit the ground out of the ark, he worshiped. And so this is a time of worship. And it's a time to examine our heart. God, I've I got to make the changes I've got to make. I cannot hold the bread representing your body, and I can't hold the blood representing the cup representing your blood. I can't hold it in my hands and play games with you and act like everything's okay when it's not. So this is a time of examination. So as we pass out the bread and the cup, take it. There will be two cups together. And then Harry, one of our elders, will come and lead us in that uh, time of communion after everyone has been served. But use this time to do business with God. What does God want to tell you? Listen, listen to his voice. Thank him for what he's done. And if you're not a believer, you don't take the bread and the cup. This is for family only. Let it pass. No one will see. No one cares. But we are begging you Today, to come to grips with the fact that you're not in the ark and the flood's coming. And trust in Jesus Christ alone is the only way you can have a relationship with the living God. Father, do your work among us today, we pray in Christ's name.